0: When Carol and I were first established in ministry, it was actually back in May of 1990. We were uh, just part of a church plant in St. Louis. My older brother had come back from school. He graduated from uh, Oral Roberts University in 78, and then he went to a CBN University, is now known as Regent University, the school that Pat Robertson uh, started many years ago. And he graduated from there with his master's degree in public policy and all of that, and came back to St. Louis to start a church in 1987. Carol and I found ourselves just being part of the uh, uh, you know, family, we were just there to help, running off tapes. I was doing what Gary does, uh, just back recording the messages, and Carol and I were duplicating the messages and all of that. And we were fine just doing that. And so my brother brought in this uh, speakers. He would bring in guest speakers and things like that, and many of them flowed into prophetic. And this was one particular Sunday, this guy just stopped in the middle of his message and pointed to me and Carol. And told us to come forward. And he began to prophesy over us and speak the word of the Lord over us. And part of it was he prophesied. He said um, that God had called us to a ministry of healing. But he said, I don't see healing lines. I see wounded and torn lives. I see you at sick beds. But he's talking prophetically, uh, which which spoke to us immediately one-on-one, very personal ministry with people and that's what God had called us to. And ever since then, whether we were involved in youth ministry, young adult ministry, marriage ministry, no matter what we've been involved in, even when God sent us here as as a local pastor starting a church and now we're spiritual life coaches in the community for us it comes back to that original call yes. that that we wouldn't be involved in necessarily healing ministry of physical bodies even though we have seen physical healing take place but we've watched the physical healing take place when something happened in people's hearts. And so the reason why you keep hearing us, every time we come, we're talking about the gates and the restoring and renewing of hearts and homes is because that's the original call that God placed upon us. That's what he put in our hearts, that we're called to that level of ministry, the healing of hearts, the healing of homes. And um, so it, it, it can sound like a broken record. This has got always, This couple's always talking about the same thing, but one of our spiritual sons, he posted something on Facebook, and I've reminded Carol of this. He he said, why is it that we don't think it's a strange thing when our favorite singer sings the same song over and over again? But if we hear a pastor preach the same sermon over and over again, we think that's strange. But if God has given a pastor a word, just like he's given a singer a song, He has to preach that word over and over again, just like that singer has to sing that song over and over again. I think sometimes in the church in America, we're always looking for the newest thing, the next thing, the next thing, and we put that pressure on our pastors. And we think our pastors should have a, quote, fresh word for us every single week. But if God has given that man and woman a particular word, Believe me, they have to repeat it over and over and over. Imagine Noah's job when he had to preach one message for 120 years while he's building the ark. And so I believe that this is so necessary that even for the body of Christ, we don't get caught up in the world's mindset of always trying to find a, a new message, a new word, a new this, a new that, when God's word is timeless. And all of us that he gives a word to, we understand it is just a word. God's actually speaking in sentences and paragraphs, but he gives different ones of us simply a word. And as long as we don't think that our word is the only word, I think we'll be okay. (laughs) But this is our part of the word. And we know that it fits in without us even having to be here week after week after week. We know that our word is just part of an ongoing sentence an ongoing paragraph, can I dare say, an ongoing book that God is writing for this part of the country in this era in time. Come on, bless the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. I want to give you just a, a brief praise report. One of the things that God does, has been doing is in this one-on-one connections uh, for us uh, is uh, sometimes he'll connect us with People in high places, high-ranking places, and we don't talk about it even today. I'll give you the, we'll give you the testimony in the praise report, but we won't tell you who it is because that's not what's important. Uh, and we don't, I don't believe in playing that game of name dropping so you can know who we talk to. <laughs> no, because it's not about us. It's about what God is doing. But we had a profound meeting this past week with a representative's wife, and this is a meeting that actually started a connection actually started back in February or March. We attended, we were invited to a prayer breakfast and we attended it. And, um, she heard us talking about the gates, the gates and walls because her husband kind of asked what we were doing. And so I started talking about the gates and walls message. And so she stopped the whole conversation and just perked up and went, tell me about that. And afterwards she, uh, after that meeting, she uh, we exchanged phone numbers, and she said she would get back with us, and she did. And she wanted a, a private, just me and Carol sharing with her to walk her through the gates and walls teaching. We thought that she was going to invite us maybe to come to their church and, you know, talk about it, you know, go through it with the women's ministry or, you know, with the congregation. And, no, she just wanted a private I need to go through this myself, for, for herself and her family. And so we did that. We walked her through that. And, um, and God has been doing fantastic things in their household, as well as in their work. They are in politics. And last week, we met with her Tuesday, and she shared how God has given her a prayer assignment uh, based upon what she learned from the Nehemiah 4 Gates and Walls teaching. Um, Her husband is currently a a state representative, and now he's running for U.S. House of Congress. And so, um, it God has already placed it in her heart that when her husband wins, because they're convinced, because his even his nomination was miraculous. It's a miracle that he was nominated to even run for this position, and that God has already placed it in her heart that when they get to Washington. He's put it in her heart to that based, that, that based upon those gates and walls Teaching she wants to walk around the U.S. Capitol and to pray according to all of those gates for the United States. Isn't that awesome, y'all? Come on, bless the Lord.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so for us, that was a fulfillment of a prophetic word that the Lord gave us about three years ago. Um, uh, that was we were with uh, Abby at, at Healing Tree, and so uh, one of the special guests that they had that night prophesied this over me and Carol. He said, uh, he said that God was going to use us behind the scenes, and that we would be unknown, but God was going to cause people to take our writings and our teachings and turn them into policies and laws that would change the nation. Little did we know. <laughs> how quickly God would start moving in that way. And so, again, this this is marvelous. This is the Lord's doing. For us, we were just, you know, five years ago, 2012, fall of 2012, just reading through Nehemiah 3, and the Lord starts speaking to me about these gates and what they meant and how to apply them in our home. And it wasn't even a teaching, guys. It was a prayer. We were just going through it as a church family to pray these things through. And it is one of those things where I know you, 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 I know you know what this is like. It's like when God gives you something, first of all, you don't get it. You don't get that God actually gave you something. You're just, you know, you're lost in the moment. And then suddenly you go, oh, wait a minute, this is special. <laughs> There's something special here. God's given us something here. And little did we know that God was only God could take some unknown little people from St. Louis, Missouri, wherever that is, send them to Pennsylvania, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which for Midwesterners is like wherever that is, <laughs> and have us to start a church, and then we're just a small little group meeting on Sunday mornings in a building in Harrisburg, and just while we're just going through time of prayer week after week, God was preparing us, is preparing us to deliver that same message to a congressman's wife who God is positioning to put them in a place in our nation's capital where this, not not just this word, but this prayer can be released all over America. God restore, isn't it awesome? Come on, bless him. That's not the word for America, but I believe it's a key word for, for America. To God, restore our hearts, yeah. restore our homes, do something within us. And it was part of even the building process that God's people went through after Babylon uh, destroyed Jerusalem. And years later, when God raised up, um, uh, was it Ezekiel, they were able to... Uh, Uh, And really, uh, I'm trying to think of the sequence of events. First of all, they were able to rebuild the temple. And then later on, Nehemiah was able to go back and restore the gates and the walls. And I believe we've had that progression here in America, where first of all, there's been the restoration of the temple, meaning uh, God God had to get us back to uh, really knowing what worship is about foundational things, the worship, this restoration of the word and worship. And we've seen that here in America, especially in the church. There's, It's not a coincidence that we've had this explosion of worship and better understanding of these things. But while we've had this great restoration of the word and restoration of worship, our gates have remained wide open for the enemy. And that's why we're in these battles right now in our homes and in our schools and in our communities because even though we've got great word and great worship going out across America, our households have remained still open to the attacks of the enemy. And so we know that this is strategic, and I love that God is doing it this way. He's not doing it by raising up some preacher to go and proclaim this across the nation. He's raising up a politician. Isn't that awesome that God would do that? That God would raise up a politician to make it policy to release it as policy in the spirit, where the authority really is, so that we think of these things as part of our nation's policy and laws and not just a religious practice. Come on, bless him right now. Bless the Lord. So having said all of that, (laughs) let's go back again to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, the fourth chapter. I'll take that out, thank you. I want to just give you this historical background. We learned that in 587 BC, Babylon attacked Jerusalem. They burned the temple, the palace, and all the houses and all the important buildings. They broke down the city walls and burned the gates. And in about 466 B.C., Nehemiah was an exiled Jew in the service of King Exorcise in Persia. And he learned that the Jews who remained in Jerusalem were rebuilding the temple, but that the city's defensive walls and gates were still destroyed. The Persian king gave Nehemiah permission and support to return to Jerusalem and begin the restoration process of the city's gates and walls. That's just a little bit of historical background for you. Uh, And the Spirit of the Lord had led us to pray from this this backdrop of this historical account, and it was a, believe me, a massive restoration project in Jerusalem. Uh, Under the leadership of Nehemiah, the Jews took on, and I'll use this phrase, the daunting task, and it is the daunting task of rebuilding and restoring the gates and the walls and the gates that surrounded this city. And uh, since we were sent to Harrisburg to rebuild, restore, renew hearts and homes, we believe that we have a similar uh, Nehemiah assignment. However, we believe that it's it's our hearts and our homes that have to be rebuilt and not just simply gates. In fact, uh, over these last five years, many people have made it a point to tell me that there have been books written about it, that Harrisburg even has uh 10 specific locations that are identified as the gates of the city and i've been like yes okay great i get that i understand that but how does that apply to real to real world (laughs) glad to know that harrisburg has 10 gates and people can identify where those gates are but what does that have to do with the situation in people's lives for every day and and carol and i just happen to be some of those people that if I can't apply this in my real-life world, then, you know, I, I'm, I've, just, I've gotten to the point where I'm no longer impressed with the impressive. <laughs> Can I say that again? I'm no longer impressed with the impressive. I just want Jesus. <laughs> I just want his word. I want his presence. I want that to be the difference. I don't need anybody to even be impressed with us. God has given us great talents and abilities and all of that, but you don't be impressed with us. There is only one to be impressed by, and that's Jesus. He is an awesome God. It is an, he's an awesome God. He's the only one that, that even uh, deserves to even be called awesome. We live in a world where uh, phrases like awesome are used so much that they don't mean anything anymore everything is awesome my dog is awesome you know my car is awesome you know my new computer is awesome my new iPhone 6 is awesome and so since everything is awesome when we say god is awesome we don't it doesn't carry the meaning that it should but he's the only one that truly is i am awestruck in his presence I'm left with no words I can't describe what he's doing on the inside of me I can't describe what I behold when I look at him he is awesome come on right now just bless him Lord you are awesome thank you Lord we stand in awe of you we have no words to describe you yes Lord God but we just know you are awesome So, Lord, in your awesomeness, invade this place today. Chris and Carol don't have anything that we can share or say that will change one single heart in life. But you have the words of life, and we open ourselves up for your word to come through. In Jesus' name we pray. We decrease, and you increase in this place, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, bless him again. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just for the kind of week that I've had last couple of weeks, if you excuse me in a little while, if I if Pastor Chris is a little bit bold, because I, I know you know what I mean. When you start going through and the enemy starts attacking you at every point in place, after a while, you just get to this point, it's like, okay, since you shouldn't have oughtn't have messed with me. <laughs> you find yourself talking like that to the devil. You shouldn't have oughtn't have messed with me. I wouldn't have known that we were being effective, that God was using us if you hadn't started messing with me. So now we know. So now we know. I don't know what you're facing today, but you come, come on and join with me and just say that to the enemy. You shouldn't have oughtn't have messed with me. You made a mistake messing with my family, messing with my physical body, messing with my emotions, my mind, mm-mm. You shouldn't oughtn't, I know that's not good English, but you get my point. You shouldn't oughtn't to mess with us. We are king's kids. We're not even speaking out of our own authority, but my daddy, oh, my Lord, my daddy, (laughs) you messing with my daddy's son, my daddy's daughter, (laughs) you in trouble now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord. Isaiah, the third chapter. Go back to the third chapter first. I won't read all of that, but I just want to – I say Isaiah. Nehemiah, the third chapter. Thank you, dear. Nehemiah, the third chapter. I won't – read all of these, but I just want to point out the particular gates that Nehemiah and the people of God were rebuilding. In the very first verse of Nehemiah 3, you see the sheep gate. In the third verse, you find the fish gate, where they rebuilt the fish gate. In the sixth verse, you see they repaired the old gate. Go to the 13th verse, and you'll see where they repaired the valley gate. At the 14th verse, you see where they repaired the refuse gate. At verse 15, they repaired the fountain gate. Then you have to drop all the way down to verse 26 to see the water gate. Then verse 28, the horse gate and the east gate. And verse 31, you see the inspection gate. All 10 gates are listed there in Nehemiah, the third chapter. That's what we have been referring to all of this time, uh, those particular uh, gates and the repairs that they underwent. And, and in that particular chapter, the writer actually goes into some detail uh, to explain even who did it, who who was responsible for what parts that were repaired. Then we go to Nehemiah 4. Now I'll go to the fourth uh, chapter of Nehemiah. And I will read this, or oh, I have my wife to read it. <laughs> Nehemiah 4.
1: But it so happened when Samballot heard that we were building the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads, and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity, and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, And I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens, loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built.
0: Wow, isn't that awesome? I love it when you put it in its full context. Everybody that was building, a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other. So it's. I think that one of the things we have to embrace in this hour is when we're hearing messages about spiritual warfare and also as we're hearing messages about how we need to get built up in the body of Christ. It's not either or, it's both and. More and more we have to embrace this understanding of, be, of we have to do both. There must be both a building and a fighting going on at the same time. And as we looked at the Sheep Gate, I want to give you a quick review. The Sheep Gate was the place where the sheep and the lamb were lambs were brought into the city and taken to the temple to be used uh, for the temple sacrifices. And so this gate symbolizes the place where Jesus, as the sacrificial lamb, comes into our hearts and homes. So the first gate to be established is that Jesus is our savior. This is very important in America because most families, most hearts and homes do not believe that Jesus is their savior. They believe education is the savior. Education is important but that's not our savior. They believe politics, political policy will be the thing that changes the nation. We believe that economics, economic empowerment will be the savior. So you can see this wall has been torn, this gate has been torn down in America. We don't believe in the sheep gate. We don't believe that Christ Jesus is our savior. So that's one of the first gates that must be restored. The next one was the fish gate. This was the entrance for fishermen to bring in their catch. This gate symbolizes the place where we see the importance of our roles as fishermen. Jesus said, remember, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Wow. So right next to Uh, understanding that he is our savior, then the next thing they understand is that our top priority is to be a fisher of men, not just taking care of ourselves, to be fishers of men. That was their occupation. They were fishermen. And Jesus, remember when he called his disciples, a couple of them, he said, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And as unrealistic as that can sound, oh my God, are you telling me I'm supposed to make this the top priority of my life? Yes, even the reason for the career, the reason for the job, the reason for the assignments God gives us is ultimately because he's placing us in positions to be fishers of men. We are to be, and I don't know how many fishermen there are in the room, I only went fishing one time so I'm not really a fisherman, but we are to be like bait and lure. We should be attractive. People should want what we have, that's the point. We should, people should look at our lives and want what we possess on the inside. I know that there was a teaching that went around for a long time back in the 80s, it repeated again in the 90s, that uh, Christians should be striving to be rich and wealthy and because that would be the bait and the lure for people to come into the kingdom of God. But I don't think, and it's not that God won't make you rich and won't make you wealthy, but striving for riches and wealth to say that this will be the thing that will make people want to get saved, no. (laughs) The word of God says godliness uh, with contentment is great gain. And when they start teaching, when the teaching goes forth, that, that great gain is a sign of godliness that you need to run. It's time to run. It's an absolute lie of the enemy. He'll keep, and he still does to this day, has people chasing and pursuing money, pursuing riches. And what you do is, all you have to do today is attach that, uh, that, that's the will of God. It's the will of God for you to be wealthy. It's the will of God for you to be rich. And so if you want the will of God, then you should be wealthy. I call it geometry theology. If A equals B, then B equals C, then A equals C. I know I threw out the, ge- the, the geometry real quick. <laughs> I call that ge- geometry theology. We try to piece these things together and say that that's how it is in the things of God. But no, that's not how it is. He says he wants us to be fishers of men and he will use our lives. It's not what's on the external that draws people to him. It's what's inside of us that draws people to them. It's his very presence. So he wants us to restore the fish gate. The next one is the repairing of the old gate. This gate symbolizes returning to the old ways. It symbolizes the return to walking in the, I mentioned it earlier, the timeless wisdom and word of God. Jeremiah put it this way. In Jeremiah six sixteen, it says, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Let me read that again, Jeremiah six sixteen. Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls in a nation that despises the old, despises the ancient, always highlighting and putting forth the newest and the latest witty invention. We live in a country that idolizes youth and youthfulness so much that millions of dollars are spent trying to stay young. I want you to know that that is a Western phenomenon because the rest of the world, you'll find there's great honoring of the old great honoring of the elders. My wife and I talk about this all the time when you watch uh, American television, lots of young actors and actresses and you watch things like BBC, British television and various programs around the world and you see all these older actors. Why is that? Because there is an appreciation and understanding that these people have been at this craft for a long time and they are honored with the best parts. Whereas America will take somebody who has no acting experience at all, no, (laughs) don't even hardly know what they're doing and will put them on a stage simply because they look the part. And so we we honor youth and zeal and despise wisdom. We despise even the elderly, and so it's a gate that has to be restored in America, an appreciation for the old, an appreciation for history, an appreciation for the old path, an appreciation for the timeless word. And wisdom of God, you know, because a lot of times we even when we refer to the Lord as the ancient of days, I mentioned this one time. And we think when we hear the word ancient of days that God is an old man with a long gray beard. But God is timeless. He has no age. Let let that settle on you for a while. I think all of us are going to be shocked when we finally see his face and his face isn't old and wrinkled. God is timeless, actually all of us are. The true inner being that we are, see we're looking at our physical bodies. This gets old. This sags and gains too much weight and. (laughs) But the true you and me on the inside of here It has no age. Just because this physical body has been on the planet for how old am I? 58 revolutions around the sun. Just think about it. My body on this planet has been around the sun 58 times. That has nothing to do with my spirit. Let that settle for a while. We are timeless, your spirit, my spirit, we are timeless. And the appreciation and understanding of that will be a part of the rebuilding and restoring of this gate. Bless the Lord our God, Woo! hallelujah. The next one was the valley gate. In the Bible, the valley symbolizes sorrow, trials, and humbling experiences. And we must restore the valley gate because this is the understanding that we will overcome even when we have trouble and difficult seasons. The valley gate must be restored so that we know that no matter how hard and tough life is, I will make it. Do you understand that a big reason why our families have no hope I keep picking on America, but this is where I live. <laughs> we have no hope in America. It's because we don't know anything about rejoicing in suffering. We don't know anything about persevering. We've raised a generation that thinks suffering is going a week without my iPhone. If I don't have electricity for a couple of days, (sighs) if the internet goes down, (laughs) oh, my Lord. The Valley Gate, extremely important. We've raised a generation. We don't want to build the Valley Gate, but it's a necessary part of our journey. There is a, Carol and I, we've shared this. There is a closeness and a resolve that comes to us in our relationship when we actually go through things. Think about all of of that you've experienced in your life and how God has brought you through. And I'm not even saying all the time we came through with the right attitude, but I learned a lesson even when I didn't have the right attitude and God brought me through. What did I learn? I learned that I could have waited I learned that I, I really didn't trust him as much as I thought I could. I know sometimes we've even said, if you, you know, if you don't trust the Lord, the Lord won't come through. No, how many of you got the testimony? I didn't trust him, and he came through anyway. But what I learned on the other side of that was I, I found myself saying things like, "Lord, I don't ever want to feel this again." Where I, you, you had to you had to come through for me in spite of me. I don't want you to have to come through for me in spite of me. I wanna come through willingly. I wanna come all the way through holding onto your hand and trusting you and see it all the way through. Yeah, that's what I want, because that's the mature way. Otherwise, I'm just being a child. I'm continuing my childishness when God has to bring me through kicking and screaming and in a tantrum. Or the other extreme, I'm dragging and I'm down and depressed and he had to bring me through even though I don't want it to be that way I want to I mean if you can say that with me God I want the valley gate established so that I come through confident in you all the way through I want to know what that joy is like when I actually held on and saw it to the end talk about the valley gate Thank you, Lord God. I want to know what it's like to here's what how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 4 7 through 10. He said, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. He said, We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about, carrying about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Woo! I really want to walk all the way through with that. Remember when Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9, he said, you remember this, he said, uh, Paul prayed for a particular trial in this life. He said, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Come on, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Then we took a quick look at the refuse gate. We spent quite a bit of time on that one, didn't we? (laughs) We don't like talking about that refuse gate, but it's so necessary. Not a pleasant thing to discuss, but it's the necessary thing. It's the gate of elimination, the gate where all the rubbish and the corrupt things in the city were brought to the garbage dump in the Hinnon Valley outside of Jerusalem. This gate symbolizes the necessary activity of getting the trash and the filth and the waste out of my heart and out of my home. Second Chronicles 714. Remember, Jesus said, if my people and one of the things in the list was turn from their wicked ways. So we talked about three things uh, that are part of the refuse gate. First of all, we must deal with the confidence we have in our flesh which God considers to be refuse. We must deal with the things that seem harmless. Number two is we can deal with the things that seem harmless, but we have now discovered to be refuse. And then number three, we must deal with those things we already know that's refuse. We don't even have, have to have anybody tell us. We already know. And so as far as dealing with the, uh, our confidence in the, in the flesh, Paul talked about in Philippians three verses four through nine he said, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so then he goes to this long list of things that that worse that uh he could have had confidence about of how he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of the israel a tribe of benjamin hebrew of hebrews concerning the law he was a pharisee concerning zeal he persecuted the church concerning the righteousness which is in the law he was blameless and then he said but these things that these what was were gained to me these i have counted loss for christ so from paul's words There's several things that we must consider to be refuse compared to gaining Christ. Paul talked about his ethnicity and his nationality. These are big in America. Now you know why the refuse gate is so important. This has to go to the trash where we consider our ethnicity and our nationality more important and of greater value than Christ. He said, compared to Christ, it's trash, it's rubbish. The crude version, it's dung. And that really gets to the point. You wonder why Pastor Chris and Pastor Carol don't stand up and you don't hear about us going around protesting and marching about black rights and all of that because, and even about as an American citizen, I'm an American and I'm black and I'm an American because Paul said, My ethnicity and my nationality must be considered dung compared to gaining Christ. He talked about his carnal abilities to fulfill religious requirements, and we say that a lot in the church. Many people are proud of their ability to fulfill all of the law or follow the book. That's what it's referred to in some religious denominations, the book. I follow the book. But Paul says it's trash. He talked about his zeal for earthly causes for which we can fight. And there's a lot of causes that, think about it. You know, our, our country is right now torn up by all the various causes and fights. Because gaining Christ is not what's most important. Their cause is more important. This is even among believers. That's why every four years when it comes to the presidential election, the church is divided because our causes are more important than gaining Christ. And then he talked about all the accolades and the awards and the acknowledgments that he has received. And all of that must be considered as trash. Wow, he said we count all these things lost compared to that. And when we dealt with the things that seem like they're harmless, Anybody ever had that? The things that kind of seem like they're harmless, but as you're growing and getting more mature in the things of God, you start finding out some of the stuff that I watch on TV and the things that I entertain and the people that I hang around, they're toxic. And I'm going to have to let it go. Not because I'm trying to be deep and super spiritual. It's just that this is toxic for me. They're going in a different direction than what I'm going I remember when the Lord had us to, not only to filter TV, but I mean, we don't even have regular TV. We, we, we First of all, we drop regular TV, we had cable, then we drop cable. Not because we're all being all deep, but it's like, I don't even have time to watch this. And the stuff that's on there is horrible. Isn't it something now that you have to keep your remote control next to you because even the commercials, you can be watching a healthy, wholesome TV show But then some commercial comes on and you're fumbling around trying to find your remote to turn it. Because I don't need to see that. I don't need to hear that. What am I getting at? The stuff that is just so toxic that's going forth. Toxic musings, toxic connections, toxic living. I won't get into all of that, but I need to get to this point at least to say this. Then we've got those things that the refuse gate points out that we already know that they're not of God. He's dealing with us to get rid of those things that we already know. We don't need a sermon about it. We don't need a teaching about it. We're already convicted. The Holy Spirit has already made it clear. Um, Bless the Lord our God. And then I'll go into the next one. This is probably as far as we'll get today, the fountain gate. The fountain gate speaks of the living waters of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, don't you love this? Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. There is a fountain that God wants to release within our hearts and within our families, within our households. Can you hear me, guys? But right now, it's it's clogged and blocked by all of these issues that are in people's hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart or guard your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. And because people's hearts have been damaged, they've been crushed, they've been abused, they've been ravaged, there's abandonment, there's been divorce, there's been division, death, uh, disasters. Uh, Hearts, people are simply living their life based upon the issues in their heart. They make their decisions based upon the issues in their heart. Their view of life is based upon the issues in their heart. And while religion just points out and judges the behavior of people, God is looking at the wounded Sin-sick soul. God's looking at their heart. That's why I bring this up even when elections comes around each year. People are voting according to the issues, not on the political party's platform. They're not looking at that list and voting. They're, be- they're voting based upon the issues in their own heart. So I will decide on a candidate who, is he speaking to the issues in my heart? And so a heart that does not have the fountain gate established, the flowing waters of the Holy Spirit, because it's clogged and it can't get through, they're gonna vote and make decisions upon the issues, not out of a heart that's flowing, with the waters of life. Can you see it today? Thank you, Lord. One of the issues, we see it in Isaiah 61, verse 4. It says, And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities. The word former desolation refers to devastating things that happened in the past. And in particular, it's referring to devastation that happened in the early years of someone's life. So when it talks about the former desolations, he means the spirit of God is present to bring healing to those things that happened to us when we were little. When you were a child. I know that for me, my soul was wounded before I was even born. I shared it with you guys often. My mom was pregnant with me when her youngest child was killed in a food choking accident. And so her grief and her sorrow engulfed my unborn substance. And I was always overwhelmed by grief and sorrow and despair. I lived very sad, very depressed, I was the most pessimistic child you could have ever imagined. I did not live expecting things to go right. When I met my wife in college, that's who she encountered, this very melancholy, serious young man from St. Louis, and I always prepared for the worst. Now I know that in wisdom, as a word of wisdom, you should be prepared for life. But I didn't prepare for anything to go well. Mine was not just simply be always be prepared in case things go wrong. No, mine was be prepared because things are going to go wrong. Why? Why was that in me? Because before I was even born, things went wrong. So I came here with an expectation for things to go wrong. Some of you, that you, you identify with that. Something happened early in your life and it shaped and formed your heart to see life a certain way. So that's why the Proverbs would say Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it, out of your heart springs the issues of life. You are going to live your life according to the issues. What's happening inside of here. I even developed a very violent and murderous temper I don't know if I've ever shared that with you guys. I nearly killed my younger sister when I was 11 years old. We're outside in the backyard playing. She had reached this stage in life. We had a rule in our house, boys could not hit girls. I did grow up with that. Boys do not hit girls. But I have a younger sister. Some of you know where, where this is going already you have a younger sister who hears dad say, you can't hit me, <laughs> then she would always come and hit me and say, you can't hit me back, because dad says, you can't hit girls. And I was building up and building up and building up the anger, the rage, and what I didn't know at that time, the murder that was in my heart. So we're outside playing. She picked up a little cardboard box and threw it at me and hit me, and on went the the dance. You can't hit me back, Daddy said you can. So all I did was I turned and looked at the ground and there was a brick on the ground. And she followed my eyes and saw my eyes go to that brick and she took off running because she knew I picked up the brick, and I threw it with all of my strength. And I was a very accurate kid. I was very accurate. I, my, my goal was to be a baseball pitcher. My idol, Gene, you'll know this, was Bob Gibson, yeah. St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> yeah. And I used to practice day after day after day. I drew a little line on in the wall, and I practice every day, throwing a ball in, in between those lines. And so when I threw that brick, it was adrenaline, anger, rage, and accuracy. And I watched this unfold in slow motion as, she, as the brick was following her behind her head, and she dove in through the back door and she went down in through the door and the brick shattered against the doorpost. If I had hit her, I would have killed her. No doubt. And I wasn't finished. I was disappointed that I missed. Some of you are looking at me right now and you're going, you were like that? <laughs> I'm getting to a point filled with rage and anger and i took off after her with full intentions of getting my hands around her neck i understand the outburst the anger outburst that you hear about with kids juveniles who suddenly killed someone and then when you meet them they're the meekest mildest like how, how could this kid have killed somebody? They're so nice and quiet and unassuming. I understand it because I reached it. and I'm taking off after her, and my mother yelled out. I won't tell you what she said, but my mother yelled, and I stopped in my tracks. I'll tell you this much. My mother used the N-word. <laughs> And she never, never, we don't even, we ain't even use that word in our house. But I scared her so bad. I scared my mother so badly that she screamed, What do you think you're doing? And then she said, When your father gets home. <sighs> Stopped in my tracks. It was the longest day. My mother didn't do anything. She did just what she said. I'm going to wait till your father gets home. Interesting thing that happened. When my dad came home, I was fully expecting to, to uh, be taken to the woodshed, as they say. Um, and my dad sat down with me, and he began to talk to me and ask me why I did that. I wasn't expecting that. But my dad saw something in me that he had in himself. He told me how he would lose his temper when he was a kid. So he understood what he was looking at in his son. Said, why did you do that? I said, my sister's name is Pam. I said, Pam keeps hitting me. And she keeps saying I can't hit her back because you said, little child dig. (laughs) You said, boys can't hit girls. That day both me and my sister got spankings. I'll use I'll say that word, spankings, corporal punishment, and I was happy because I felt I'd gotten justice. <laughs> shortly afterwards, very shortly afterwards, I found myself in a church service and the Holy Spirit came into that place all that rage and that murder and it was like the fire of the holy ghost driving it out i know what it is to be delivered and i know what i'm talking about as i'm referring to the fountain gate because when those living waters come into a heart the issues are healed The issues are cleansed. And instead of being an out-of-control, raging kid, lost in hurt and pain, God's presence by the Holy Spirit, this free-flowing fountain came into a little 11-year-old's heart and changed him. And this is why I say we must have the fountain gate in hearts and homes in America. We're trying to deal with issues through through psychiatry, and drugs, and alcohol, and sex. But the issues can only be dealt with by the fountain, by the free flowing of the Holy Spirit, the waters of life in every household, in every heart, in every home. Thank you, Lord, God. How many of you can say that that's that's what I must have in my house? Thank you, Lord. Paul said in Ephesians, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. Now, in this context, drunk means to be under the controlling influence. So when he said don't be drunk with wine, he said don't be under the controlling influence of wine or whatever it is that you turn to for comfort. The issue was not the mere drinking of wine, but he was talking about the lack of moral restraint, the lack of restraint. I didn't have any restraint for that temper. And like many people today, say, I, I thank the Lord I didn't go into my teenage years or my young adult years with that. I know if I had still been struggling with my temper, I wouldn't have never been able to marry this woman. Hmm. See that look right there? <laughs> <laughs> But can you see the, rep- the repairing, the restoring of the fountain gate so that the flow of the Holy Spirit can come and deal with the issues in our hearts? Lord, restore us today. Restore us, oh God. Let your spirit flow in our families. Lord, we want to have our families empowered by your presence. Thank you, Lord God. Empowered by your Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh and anew. Thank you, Lord God. Fill us afresh and anew in this country. Let your Holy Spirit flow. May we be filled with the Spirit. God, from the White House through every house in America, let your Holy Spirit come and fill us, God. May we no longer be led in this nation by simply the issues in our hearts but let us be led by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Come on, bless the Lord today. Thank you, Lord.